When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Pest Podcast. My name is Craig Cairns and on today's show we're going to examine the latest in a new era of petty bickering in Scottish football before delving into the archives to bring you the latest in our list of most meaningless, sorry, most memorable Scotland matches. Joining me to go through all that are two men you would want around for such a discussion. They're both well versed in the constitutional wrangling which handicap our game. Uh, firstly, I'm joined by Craig Anderson. How are you doing, Craig? Hi, how you doing, Craig? How's it going? Not bad. Still still trying to learn how to speak. And by Tom Watt. How are you, Tom? Very good, thank you. The league was called today. The time in of today's podcast is actually quite good for that because there's been a few of these discussions we've tried to have and not much has moved on. But today the league was called. Uh, Celtic have been made champions. Hearts have been relegated. On top of this, it looks like Sky are going to be given the league sponsorship to kind of appease them for missing out on uh, some loss of income. Uh, what's going to happen with other broadcast companies still don't really know and reconstruction appears to be making its appearance again what are uh, we'll start with you Craig what are your general thoughts on what's happened um, yeah there's, there's a lot of things happened um, so first of all I guess to congratulate Celtic on 8.8 8 in a row um, <laughs> it's uh, um, again a big achievement for them to, to win most of the title this season Um and I guess we we've talked about this at length. They, they obviously were going to win the league, um, but it's going to be funny the fact that this can kind of now be asterisk. That's that's my view on that part of it. Um, 
big big congratulations to St Johnston who managed to climb a place with it by not playing a game essentially because um, they, they they ended up as in the top six and I think that's seven seven times in nine years St Johnston have finished top six so that that was a pretty big achievement for them uh, Jack Ross failing to to get Hibs into the top six um, question mark still over his his tenure there um, and then Hearts yeah. Um, Deserve, deservedly relegated they can argue about the you know the fairness of it or not but to win four games in most of a season um, I don't think you can have a great deal of complaints to be honest my, my favourite uh, my favourite comment is, as you can imagine uh, something like you know, 15 of the top 20 uh, trending subjects on Twitter in Scotland were all about Scottish football this afternoon my favourite of all of them was absolute joke we've been demoted to 7th place hashtag corrupt by a hips fan like just an amazing lack of perspective but I, I like I hope they were joking but even if they weren't whoever you are I thoroughly enjoyed that that level of pettiness yeah I mean I think like nobody's going to be totally 100% happy and I think it is it is genuine when Celtic say they would rather have won it on the pitch but not you know they're 0.8% of a title and they're, they're only a fraction of that is genuine because I think they're very happy to get it done and dusted with I think I mean I, I do feel for Hearts and the, the, the way that that the way the relegations happened and I still somehow inexplicably believe that if games were to have been possible to have played towards the, to, to, to conclusion at the end of the season, they, I believe they probably would have got out there despite not having the, the being a huge amount of evidence for that. Is that you but, predicting that Hamilton would have got relegated? I mean, you don't even have to make a prediction, yet you're yes. still predicting Hamilton to get relegated. <laughs> yes, I'm boldly predicting that that, that would have happened had, uh, had this not come along and saved them, had a pandemic not kept them alive. Um, but I think if we were drawing up, if, if we'd taken all emotion out of the situation and we were drawing up the rules at the start of the season as to what might happen if a season is curtailed because of a global pandemic, I think largely people would go, well, you know, if one team is significantly further ahead and one team is adrift by X amount of points, then I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility and beyond the realms of reason to just say that's it as it is. So I, I think it's probably... You know, the, all, all things considered, that's probably fair. I think what I'm a wee bit concerned uh, by are people seeming to think this is um, like the end of a, a process and it's the end of like, good, we've got over that hurdle, now we can get on with the rest of it. The rest of it is the difficult part. Like the rest, like how you, uh, you know, like you said, the reconstruction's back on the menu. I, whether that happens or not, I, I don't know. I think probably people will, enough clubs will go we've got over one barrier we're going to have to look on for, for other things but regardless it's back on the menu effectively the, the season starts again in two months time even if we're not talking about Europe which doesn't seem possible um, the league cups might start again in two months there's contract issues there's sponsorship issues there's like clubs that have put people into furlough there's HR staff behind the scenes there's all these other problems the the just the fact that they've called the league is obviously the right thing to do, but now I think's where it gets really hard. Uh, my line hasn't changed for a little while now. Um, I think the effort continue continues to be focused in the wrong places. Okay, they needed to find a resolution to the season that we were 
in the middle of. I don't think it was wrong to call an end to that, whichever way they did it. But again, we keep talking about next season and we keep talking about reconstruction for next season as if there's going to be a full season to play. And there's there's mm. just not. And we need to be looking at um, protecting jobs, both staff and players, and keeping teams afloat. That That's that's yeah. where the focus needs to be because we don't have the, the TV money that's going to cover the loss of income. So we need to come up with some solution on how we're going to keep as many clubs afloat as possible. And whether that maybe is a, a behind-closed-doors thing uh, where you, further down the line, because I don't think that's even going to be allowed in Scotland this year, given like the infrastructure we have and the money we have to throw around at things like testing and stuff, I just I don't think it's going to be allowed until uh, mass gatherings are allowed. I don't think we're going to have an exception for football up here. I could be proved wrong and all that. I, th- I think when you talk about, because obviously there is the SFA... Um, SPFL kind of joint panel which is kind of looking at this restart and how, how can they restart football and what's going to be the way it's going to happen and they seem to from from what I've read and it's obviously hard to tell because you don't know they're not going to exactly say oh well, we think the Scottish government uh, are being unsupportive and doing a terrible job but it sounds like they feel like the Scottish government have been quite supportive of what they've been thinking of and have been kind of constructively involved in all the discussions but it's, it's interesting when you say protecting the livelihood of clubs and the livelihood of players I don't think you can do both um, my feeling is that uh, the players are going to take a big hit here um, there's, just, there's just not going to be jobs for them um, realistically if football doesn't happen the first thing clubs are going to do if, if a club's got and there's some clubs in Scotland that their entire squad's out of contract even even like Kelly have I think six players contracted for next season um, and it'll be the same kind of up and down the country some con- clubs will have loads once a player's done, if there's not a furlough scheme to keep them employed, they're not going to sign new players because why would you? So It would also look pretty a- bad as well to do that, wouldn't it? It would also mm-hmm. look pretty poor to be spending money on players at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, if you've not got it, you're asking your fans for money and you're paying wages of people who, you know, you're, you're not going to sign someone unless you know there's going to be football. I, I did notice, um, I can't remember if it was St. Johnston, um, I read someone today was saying... They'd extended contracts of players um, temporarily um, until the end of June. Was it Dundee? Could have been. I, I just remember reading it from uh, someone anyway, um, because the, the furlough would continue then. So, so the um, you know they, they're, they're securing the income of the the player without you know costing the club any extra money necessarily. How long will that be allowed to happen? Both in terms of football registrations, I think that'll be less of a problem. But in terms of if the if the furlough scheme stops or winds down and also having players on furlough means you can't play so at some point there's got to be a balance between those two things if they want to bring football back because I think the, the problem is there's this the new Sky deal is rumoured to be 30 million quid maybe even more than that per year for five years so that's 150 million pounds that they won't want to jeopardise so they may even think come August, which is when it's meant to start, if we know we can, you know, if we know we're going to be back in November, for example, they might think, well, we're going to have to take the financial hit on playing for three months to secure that £150 million going forward. But that's obviously a bit of a, a tightrope you're walking because then if something goes wrong, what, yeah. where do you go with that? But I think they, they will make as much effort as possible to um, to hold on to that contract because there's no way 
if if they have to renegotiate something, you're probably going to end up with less money. So that's that's going to be a big, I think, a big deal going forward. And and it's what makes I think the decision with Hearts a bit harder because realistically they might say, okay, we'll restart the Premiership, and the lower leagues will have to wait. I'm not saying they have to wait the whole season, but then you've got the, the issue where Hearts are still spending all this money, got all their players, but they don't have any games to play. Um, and it's not just Hearts I'm just picking Hearts because they're the ones who, who've been, been relegated um, you may have some championship teams wanting to play immediately the, the ones with the bigger supports you know Hearts, Dundee no, those two Dunfermline maybe um, <laughs> but then the likes of Aloha and our both the part-time teams are, are like no we're happy to send. probably the part-time teams can essentially shut down they can essentially just I don't mean shut down permanently. I mean, just they don't have any players who can stop in any wages and they can just hibernate, essentially. But but the bigger clubs don't have that option. There's going to have to be, if that's the case, there's going to have to be some consideration for some kind of interim tournament if, if we can't play the league. Like, just to keep people playing. If that There's a lot of things I have to consider, and I think they are thinking about it, but there's just a whole going on with all that and then obviously as you say the um, Sky sponsorship fair enough if, if Sky are going to be owed money um, from this season then it makes sense to rather than have to pay them money write it off via something like that I don't I don't get the outcry over that yeah I, I, I it's don't not, mind it's not been either, given away but... for free is it it's been given away for money it's just that the money that they pay you is then immediately going back to them but if you didn't have that sponsorship you would still owe them 10 million quid or I don't think 10 million is the right figure but some amount of money yeah I, I don't disagree but you just wonder um, what Sky's or if if the SPFL had kind of played hardball a little bit it would have been interesting to see whether Sky would have pursued it given that they were taking on this big new deal that was coming on and whether they wanted to get off on the wrong foot with it but yeah like I say I, I don't I don't really disagree you're kind of you're, you're, you're paying them off to stop them Asking for more than that. Well, I, I think the, the 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 test on Sky's commitment could be what are they going to put into place if it's not possible to restart. Like they they could be the one that they need the let's like they they only really care about filling the schedules ultimately. I'm being I'm being generalist and being very broad, but they they need a product. They need something to be put on. If it's not going to be possible for there to be X number of teams for there to be a product on the pitch, they may well have to help support in, I don't know, like paying for additional medical staff or paying for tests or paying for games to be played behind closed doors and put on the infrastructure in there. And if they are both the sponsors of the league and the broadcasters of the league, you would hope they would have a greater vested interest in actually making this happen. I mean, the, the, the guidance that's been given to clubs in England seems to suggest that people are not going to be allowed in stadiums for six to 12 months, you know, short of there being some kind of medical miracle. Um, and certainly the English top two, possibly top three um, flights can, can probably survive with games behind closed doors and the, there's enough trickle down that, they could keep going like that but we we can't so if it's not going to be possible to do that I, I think the order of like now we've got over the sort of administrative side of things where we're like right we've drawn a line under the previous season the next thing that needs to happen is how does the, 
how how does the next what does the next season look like what are the options for that because once they've got an idea of what's possible then they can start looking at support for you know Hearts and Partick Thistle who may be without crowds without an income for longer than they might like with contracts from the division above they may have their own legal challenges it, 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 it was kind of flippant but Hearts saying that they'd been expelled from the Premier League does that mean if that's the position you're taking legally does that mean a relegation release clause can kick in I like it's kind of a minor point, but if they're taking legal action, it's entirely possible that players will too, if they're being asked to cancel contracts. So there needs to be, it needs to be sort of tiered. It needs to be like, what does this next season look like? If it's going to be possible, is it going to be possible to play games behind closed doors? We also need to look at the possibility that, and one thing I don't think that, you know, Germany or, or um, the Korean leagues and the ones that have started up yet have, got their heads around yet is it's entirely possible that this is all going to have to shut down again very very quickly if we're having some sort of tournament you know if the English leagues are going to go ahead again what does that look like is it going to even be possible even if we were told we could play 38 games from the start of August till May as long as they're behind closed doors it's still entirely possible that it would not be able to cram in all the games needed because you might have six week hibernation you know you might have a period over the winter when everything's in lockdown again or there's an outbreak at a particular club and they can't play or there's well, that happened two clubs in the and... German second tier didn't it there was a team yeah. that had to miss their fixture because a, a, a player tested positive so it, it's I suspect next season is going to have to be looked at as almost a, a you know, like 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 you suggested, Craig, the like some form of interim tournament, some form of bridging tournament, because like you you can't see a possible. It just doesn't marry up. It, it doesn't find a way of find like finding a way to keep the clubs alive, finding a way to keep players paid something so that they're you know they're not just all they all just go down south or they all go elsewhere that like tries to keep the the game together because it's the only thing I can realistically see uh, as being uh, as being possible um yeah there, there's not really any other alternative it's not like it's not like the there's going to be European football to play for because nobody's going to be allowed to travel around Europe en masse anyway. It's not like there's going to be enough clubs that can field teams. Like, you know, we've got a, we've got a full, a top flight that's full of full-time teams, but the championship's not. Some of those players are not going to want to, you know, some of those players might have second jobs as key workers. Some of those might live with key workers. Some of the, there's umpteen different reasons why a full squad of players can't get together unless they have to. And every which way you look at it, the, the only solution really is to think, what, what's it going to look like in 2021? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we're, we're in the same boat. It's not, this is not a Scotland problem as such. I mean, you're in the same boat as pretty much any number of leagues and, and pretty much everything that's happened here has been... Um, discussed elsewhere in Europe as well. Um, I think some le- some leagues are following along in finishing this season, um, but finishing this season is a completely different story to next season. Everyone would like to finish this season, and I think if we had been 
three games from the end of this season, they would have probably found a way to make that happen for a small number of games. Playing eight top flight games per team is never going to really be workable given that, that we're a wee bit behind the rest of Europe in terms of when it all started here. But the wrangling about relegation, legal stuff about that's happening everywhere. Um, mm. The same thing that happens here is happening in France, it's happening in Belgium. Um, certainly the other two that I've seen, I think it's going to happen in other countries before you know it. The plans for next season will be the same, so I think it's going to be interesting. I think they're going to have to borrow ideas from across each other. Of course, we may um, we may see that this predicted second wave as such never happens because it's, I mean, people don't know. It's just unknown. Yeah. 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 And it might be that we get to, you know, the middle of the summer and there's no new cases and we're obviously not going back to normal, but at least you can start to say, okay, it's, it's a wee bit more of a, a promising outlook. We, we just, uh, we can sit here and talk. None of us profess to know anything about this stuff beyond the football side of stuff and just, just a certain just practicalities um, yeah related yeah. to football yeah pretty much yeah I think one one thing that is worth saying though I think over the last six weeks or so a bunch like Scottish football has taken a bit of a kicking for the amount of statements that have gone out and the different you know the, the, the threats of legal action and everyone and basically, you know, you don't need to drill down too deep into what everyone's saying that I want what's best for my club. I, and it's been framed as, oh, Scottish football doing it again. Just wait until, like, Bournemouth are relegated without with games still to play. There's already with, been like, some million, noises you know, like, in the English yeah. Premier League as well. Villa, uh, and there was some, was it West Ham? I think Karen Brady's been running her mouth about things as well. I mean, there has been some noises from there as well. It's well, not, the, 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 the clubs well, that actually what? have full-time lawyers and are going to lose a hundred, like, you know, Fulham are, a, a, you know, a small amount of points off automatic promotion in the in the championship. But the English League One, if they do one of their proposals, it's like um, Coventry and Rotherham would go up and eighth placed Wickham would go up as well. So no Sunderland, no uh, Ipswich, you know, no, no, all these other. And these teams have got really big pockets. And if there's no football next season for them or or for a chunk of next season, that's going to get so ugly. I, so I think that's- we've come to a conclusion on this stage. And there does seem to have been consensus so far. You can completely understand there's people who are very disappointed with what that consensus is. But they've they've come to a mature decision so far. Hopefully, we can get one for the next one. Yeah, yeah, I think that is it. Like Scotland, for, for yeah, for all the way it's been dragged, you know, dragged through. And I think a lot of that comes down to certain. Certainly, there are journalistic um, newspapers and TV channels and stuff that have needed something to talk about, and have tried to start up drama. And there has been genuine. Um, incompetence, corruption, whatever you want to call it. I, I, don't, I, I tend to lean towards the incompetence side, but there has been genuine issues with how things have been handled. But at the same time, I think there has been a lot of stirring going on. But despite all of that, we have, yeah, as you say, put a bow on it now. 2019-20 is done. We can worry about what's going forward. There are very few leagues around Europe where that's the case. I, I've not actually heard a peep about what they're doing in Spain, where I think uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona are like a point apart or even level on points at the top of the league how are they possibly um, I, I saw another country that had two teams level on points at the top was it Cyprus um, they've basically said well we're not going to award the title but the team who are top on goal difference get into the Champions League and it's like think how much of a difference 
that can make and you're, de- you're deciding on a goal difference of a, an incomplete season we we are somewhat lucky I think we've got away with the worst of that I think the, the relegation and promotion from the championship and, and league one have been the two that have, um, have been the ones that have been tightest in that respect you know Partick Thistle and, and um, going down and Falk sorry Wraith coming up and Falk or not are the ones that teams can be a bit unhappy about but everything else there was actually a bit of clarity in terms of who was going to win or who was going to go down there was a, a bit of a gap and and they've got it they've sealed it off and, and they've managed to get that through the clubs and okay not everyone's happy but they did it through a vote and the board didn't have to step in and say well this is what we want to do they've managed to get the clubs more or less to agree on something and, and I think you're right Tom that's not something that should be underestimated I think they've actually through whatever means managed to get some sort of agreement but there's still a long way to go and much more to discuss on this in future shows I'm sure we're going to move on now to the next in our list of most memorable Scotland matches we're now down to number 36 and this one takes us back to the 18th of June 1992 Batman Returns was number one in the box office and Erasure's ABBA-esque EP was number one in the charts back when EPs were allowed in the charts I can't remember exactly when they were banned but I do remember I remember hearing it on the news I remember seeing the news bulletin which uh, said that they weren't allowed that extended plays are no longer allowed in the charts because it was like cheating and now the charts are just an absolute mess aren't they downloads right, like downloads killed the charts yeah I, I've, I've not we were, we were looking at it last night because we were um, talking about what was what was number one when we were born and stuff and you're thinking like um, when folk are born now it's like yeah, it's, it's it's hard to even tell what is number one because it's like done, or it's not hard to tell what is number one. That's a, a stupid thing to say, but it's based on so many different factors that it's kind yeah. of no longer like protests and stuff. Protests, uh, well, even getting now, like now every year at Christmas, the charts are pretty much the same every year because it's just people streaming Christmas songs. Oh, is that right? Because for <laughs> yeah. a while it was X Factor, and then. Yeah you'd get like it was just whoever won X Factor would yeah. pretty much be guaranteed Christmas number one and then one year you had folk campaigning and trying to get Killing in the Name of to, to beat it did it Did it beat it it did, it did yeah. it did yeah yeah, right, yeah. It did. anyway is, yeah. Oh, sorry on you go on you go Tom anyway the, the legal yeah the legal legal wranglings around what counts as the chart as chart music it's not a direction I thought we'd take but no it's um, there's it's a really weird um definition of like the number of streams and where streams are and some streams are better than others so it's like if you want like a really rubbish expose in how um big record companies dominate the charts read about uh, where your streams go who was, who was the guy recently uh, dj khaled he like threw uh is that his name dj khaled something khaled he he threw mm-hmm. like a strop because he didn't make it to number one i can't remember who beat him um because he, part of some of his downloads were disqualified because they were given away like for free when you bought so many Red Bull or something along those lines. So he got like thousands and thousands of his downloads. It meant his album didn't go to number one and he threw a strop about it. I think about 80% of that's accurate. Anyway, we'll go back on track to what we were supposed to be talking about. And of course, back to, like I say, the 18th of June, 1992. And we're talking about the Euro 92 clash, which finished... Scotland 3, the CIS Insurance Cup, nil. Goals from Paul McStay, Dimitri, <laughs> well, it was actually a Dimitri Carrion own goal, that would be given as an own yeah, goal these yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, Brian McClare and G- uh, Gary McAllister penalty gave Scotland the victory. It was a really kind of 
small format this tournament so the quality was always going to be concentrated but um it was a, it was quite a tough group for Scotland this one wasn't it it was uh, Germany Holland and well what was effectively a transition between the USSR and Russia yeah and- really really uh but really really concentrated really like the euros at that point were like it was very hard to qualify so it did tend to be like the best of the very best to 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 get in and we had a group in true Scottish style with the reigning European champions the reigning world champions and the team that had finished runners up in the 1988 European Championships um, but I I to, I remember this game it's one of the first Scotland games that I remember being like really excited I remember the World Cup in 90 but I remember being much more excited about this and to my mind it's the best Scotland were at a tournament um, like the the quality we're up against, the fact that, like I mean, it, the it, in the other group, England didn't get out their group, France didn't get out their group, and the, the other group was you know France, Denmark, um, Sweden, England, and Sweden. Um, but the the quality of it, and we never got dramatically outplayed. Um, a very very good Dutch side. Uh, beat us 1-0 in the first game a very very good Germany side beat us 2-0 in the second game uh, but we looked we looked pretty disciplined we looked pretty aggressive there was a bunch of players playing at a really high level um, and guys like you know Gary McAllister and, and um, Tom Boyd coming through ha- having played a couple of years down south at, at a level and, and winning things yeah, and, and this this tournament was obviously our debut in the um, European Championships, and this was our, our first win um, in it, first of two that we've ever had. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was a, a pretty a pretty big one, pretty emphatic as well. Um, we two 0 up in sixteen minutes, I think. Um, I guess you can look through the Scotland team, and you can they generally are kind of big names of Scottish football. We've got Andy Gorham and goals back for McKimmy, Richard Goff. Uh, Dave McPherson and Tom Boyd, um, Gary McAllister, Brian McClare, Paul McStay, and Stuart McCall in the midfield, and then uh, sorry, uh, Ali McCoyce and Kevin Gallagher up front. That is a, a strong team, um, and I think what what we're missing now is a six mix in that Scotland team. Um, you there's not enough mix in the team now. I mean, we're starting to make a wee bit of a comeback with McGinn and McGregor, uh, McBurney. Um, McKenna, so we are we are starting to head back that way, but um, we we need definitely need to recruit some more. Um, odd, uh, just before we move on from the team, the lineup, it was a uh, odd squad numbers. Is this the one that you were talking about recently? No, where they no, did it on caps. But this is, it, it was we talked about that recently for Italia ninety, but it was the same ninety two. It was still Andy Roxburgh in charge, and it's, it was one of his kind of things. So yeah, Ali McCoyce was wearing the the number five jersey, um, and Stuart McKinnon Sorry? Trendsetter. Yeah. Goal scoring um, number five. Yeah. First time then Zidane. Um, and Milan Barros, he won number five. Oh, so he did. Yeah, right enough. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of a weird Andy Roxburgh thing. Um, typically, what, uh, the subs that came on for Scotland, uh, Pat Nevin came on for, for Kevin Gallagher and uh, Jim McAnally came on for Brian McClear. I always knew Jim McAnally was a pretty good player and I knew he'd played in the Dundee United team um, they got to the UEFA Cup final and then he, he, he was still kicking about when they won the Scottish Cup I think 
but I hadn't actually realised he'd, he'd even played for Scotland, so um, it was a surprise to see him there. Yeah, I mean, uh, just very briefly back on the squad numbers, I went down this rabbit hole as well after you started, after you mentioned it. Um, the very first squad numbers in when they used them in the FA Cup way back in the 30s, the, um, I can't remember the two teams. I think one of them was Man City, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But whichever two teams it was, one team was 1-11 to 11 and the others was 12-23, 22, 22. Um, yeah, so that, that's the history of squad numbers. But we were trendsetters because subsequently at tournaments, you did get like, you know, strikers wearing number five and things like that. And I think those were the first time at a tournament I can remember there being names on the back of shirts as well for Scotland. And there's there was, so it's like that classic dark blue umbro Scotland top mm-hmm. and huge letters like half of their back had their like Gary McAllister ran from like one shoulder to the other um, but yeah anyway the the the, the build up was like the build up to this we'd, we'd like we narrowly beaten by Hall, like a Dutch side that had like you know Van Basten Pulit Koeman Rijkaard Verkamp um, then we got beaten by Germany uh, but but the CIS um, the, the CIS had drawn with both Germany and Holland, and if they had won this game, and I think even if they'd drawn this game, depending on what had happened, and it was back in the two points for a win days, if they had drawn this match, depending on what happened in the other game, they could have gone through. And it heavily heavily favoured, um, and it's the sort of match that we usually find ourselves on the other side of, you know, like you only need to beat this slightly dangerous lower seed. We only need a draw against this slightly dangerous lower seed. Um, but we, we really went for it. I mean, like 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 you say, the the, the lineup was really attacking and um, it was like, like Alan McCoyce and, and Kevin Gallagher up front, but like Brian McClare playing very close behind. Um, and very early on, Scotland were all over them. Um we're all over the CIS. I actually don't remember the CIS being bad. Someone may, may tell me differently. I, I think they 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 had quite a lot of the ball laterally, and they did make a, have a bunch of chances. But Scotland were very very neat and just terrified them by getting two goals too early on. Uh, two goals very early on. The first one, like a Paul McStay, credit where it's due, is like a, it's an excellent shot from the edge of the box that comes back off the the head of uh, Dimitri Karin and maybe if he didn't have such a glorious mullet it would have like it would have come back off the post or something because he had like a, a properly re- like really tight curls like the kind, kind of mullet that's always in motion just yeah the, the sort of mullet that like Pixar would love to animate Dimitri Karin um, was just notoriously like unfashionable like I always remember him wearing tracky <laughs> trousers I remember yeah. he had a brief spell at Celtic but he would just always um, he always wore trackies I don't remember if he was wearing trackies in this game actually I meant to check in and ever um, yeah, I think he was but, I think he was but there, yeah. but there were quite a lot of kind of connections to Scottish football in this game because he was in goals um, uh, Oleg Knetsov was playing centre half and uh, Alexei Mikhailichenko in midfield were both already playing for Rangers and later uh, Andrei Kinchelskis would go on to play for Rangers he was playing playing wide uh, wide he was kind of Man United's new up and coming superstar at that point I think um, so but yeah they, they obviously got a wee bit shell shocked by that and then from, from what I could see and I, I don't remember this game but from what I could see they then kind of well, we, also, we talked about um, 
uh, the opening goal and then the second goal Brian McClare has a, a nice um, strike from outside the box but it's deflected past the keeper by um, Chakadadze the, the uh, CIS defender um, and put it 2-0 up and then it did seem like uh, they battled us or not battled us but they did um, well they had their chances but didn't yeah that's they, what I mean sorry I battled a bit strong yeah but. they didn't really look like scoring especially when they missed that um that double chance, it just you could you could see the players kind of just fall to the floor after those two chances, and like we're we're never going to do it because if they had go back to what Tom was saying, it actually turned out the way things went in the other game that if they had a won, they they would have gone through with Holland, with Holland beating yeah, they, Germany. They, they were, I think they they certainly they they had more of the ball as was to be expected. I think they, I mean, my memory of it was that their their heads didn't drop until quite late on. And it became one of those games where they obviously have a lot of uh, they have a lot of threat. I think they switched their formation. I think they had, they start with a back five or three. I, yeah, I think, I, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they started quite conservatively, and they they definitely gave up the midfield early on, and then realised they're suddenly two 0 down, um, and they went for it. And you could see that they had a bit more quality, but I think. They, it was like they they were a very good team and they had a bunch of very good players playing all over Europe at that point yeah. at a really high level but Scotland were incredibly well disciplined um, Goff and McPherson were were absolute rocks at the back uh, Scotland were you know a, a very Scottish performance of throwing bodies on the line they got a, they get a free kick uh, inside our box and with like with, with all met 11 men back Managed not just to block the initial free kick, but when it falls to a Russian foot, again, someone throws themselves at it. Um, Jim McAnally clears one off the line. They they get they get in behind a couple of times, but it wasn't it wasn't completely panicky. It was it was like we've got them at arm's length. We can keep them at arm's length. And Scotland had a bunch of chances after that. That especially on the break. Um, uh, Alan McCoyst has a good chance from a corner and actually although he didn't have an, um, I think that was his only chance in the game like his build up play throughout the game is his link up play which is something he doesn't always get a huge amount of credit for because of, of the goals uh, his link up play throughout was amazing um, and then they brought on Pat Nevin who just stretched everything and while the Russians well while the, the CIS were, were kind of piling bodies forward um, he was just like Running, at, at, I think he was on both wings, um, switched wings right through it, and just you know being very direct and kind of initially running down the clock, and then running at their box and winning a penalty for the third. Yeah, some of the one-touch football from Scotland was excellent, actually. Um, but you're right when Nevin came on, his contribution is to win the penalty for the third goal. Now he, it's some nice play on the wing from him, but it's some absolutely dreadful lazy defending from the Russians <laughs> one yeah. guy I'm not sure who it is kind of goes to face him up for the initial challenge and then Nevin kind of goes towards the touchline and then just pauses for a second to see where he's going to go next and it's like the other guy just the Russian player just gives up um, doubling up on him and he just leaves him with a one-on-one against the guy who eventually brings him down for the uh, for the penalty and then interestingly um, Gary McAllister places this penalty yeah, and it's uh, if he just saved that for the next European Championships, it's all been happy. Um, but 
but yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was it was a good performance. There was a few other things I'd picked up on. So the CIS obviously came because the Soviet Union had qualified for the tournament, but between the qualification taking place and the tournament, the Soviet Union stopped existing, which is a, um, an interesting reason to to uh, not have to play at a tournament is that your country isn't there anymore um, but but the CIS was kind of what was left over but um, Lithuania, Estonia and uh, Latvia had all long gone by then not that I think they were contributing any players anyway but the squad contained players for Russia, Ukraine, Georgia and Belarus um, and because it wasn't a country anymore they used Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9 as their national anthem Is that right? Um, I couldn't find Beautiful. any footage of that but I thought it was quite uh, quite an interesting thing Do you know where the decision came from? Do you know how that was? No, I have no idea that? and I was confused because it, it doesn't seem like what you would pick but the other thing was that they have a they had a guy he didn't play in this game but in the squad called Achrik Svibia I don't know he picked up 34 international caps for four different international teams. Wow. Because um, he played for the Soviet Union. Then he played for CIS at this tournament. Then he went and picked up a cap for Ukraine. But then he decided he didn't want to play for Ukraine. He wanted to play for Russia. So he later went on to play for Russia as well. <laughs> so he managed to play for four different national teams. I thought it was quite impressive. Um I was really looking for anything interesting in that CIS squad. But the only thing I could find was that their subkeeper... Uh, Cherchesov is uh, still the Russia manager. He was the Russia manager at the World Cup as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, big guy. Um, Didn't realize he was a former goalkeeper. No, that that's quite rare as well. But um, yeah, and then the other thing that I had noted was um, that the game was played in Norrköping in Sweden, and Norrköping uh, I had I found on multiple sources is referred to as Sweden's Manchester. Imagine that! Wow. <laughs> And so I was very puzzled by this, but apparently it's because it had cotton refineries and paper mills back in the day when Manchester oh, was also famous for that. But imagine your your town is referred to as the Swedish answer to Manchester. Doesn't have a long uh, running soap. Yeah, the the Portuguese Glasgow. <laughs> There's so many of these. I do like it's like when you get uh, twin towns and stuff like that, and you see the absolute states of places that get um, paired up together. There's a Moscow um, in Scotland. Yeah, there, there so are. Weird. Yeah, um, some some very weird ones. That was a bit of a non sequitur. Sorry. No. Um, Look, there's a dog. The, <laughs> <laughs> the the other stuff was um, about the ref. I don't know if anyone else picked up on this. No. So the referee was uh, Swiss Kurt Rothlisberger, and uh, four years later in 1996, he was banned from refereeing for life after. Um, in relation to match fixing in the Champions League in 1996. So um, here's the quote I managed to find. It took me a while to actually find what he was banned for. But it says, a UEFA spokesman said Rothlisberger had tried to fix the 1996 second leg tie between French first division side Auxerre and Swiss champions Grasshopper Zurich. Auxerre had won the first leg 1-0. Um, and then the second leg was in Switzerland. And so this Swiss ref spoke to the Grasshopper manager maybe after a league game or something and said you've got this Belarusian referee for your second leg and I know him and if you pay me let me get the amount right $600,000 then I will get you the match um, and the Grasshopper's manager then reported him uh, rather than Grass. paying up and Grasshopper's won the game 3-1 anyway um, and, and did get through and he got banned for life um, 
And apparently, the well, one of the Swiss tabloids then said that he had also asked the Swiss FA for a hundred thousand francs to fix a World Cup qualifier between Switzerland and Norway in 1996. And he he said himself he had contracted contacted Bayern Munich manager Uli Hoeneß for a fix around about the same time. Um, and the Scottish football connection slightly is that he was also the referee of the first ever Champions League final between Marseille and Milan. Um, obviously, with what was going on with with Marseille around that time, uh, it's interesting. Um, that was this goal. That wasn't the first time that um, he had been in trouble with FIFA. Uh, he got suspended for three months for giving unauthorized publicity to a political party in 1995, um, because he, in the autumn of 95, had been canvassing for a seat in the Swiss National Council and had been photographed in this official FIFA referee kit displaying the logo of the FIFA the of FIFA next to the logo of the political party. Um, and, and I thought uh, Douglas Ross might be particularly interested in that <laughs> particular wheeze. Um, it's, a, it's interesting that FIFA think that he was giving them publicity because if there's the only group of, the only profession I can think that's largely hated more than referees is politicians. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was then interesting having read that to see that uh, the CIS were given two indirect free kicks in the box during this game. Uh, yeah. Not very common. Um, and you just start to well, wonder. It's... Would it have been more common around then? Because it wasn't long that the bass pa- uh, sorry, the back pass rule had been. I, I don't know that either of these were for back passes. The second one certainly wasn't. It was like a. It was weird that I found the footage of the foul and it was like, I guess it would have been for obstruction, but it would definitely either be a penalty or, or a dive today. There's not not an indirect free kick, but I can't remember who the Scotland player was. Um, one of the defenders, it might have been Richard Goff. Um, the defender kind of runs across him and he kind of steps into the defender's path. I don't think it's a foul, but he gives an indirect free kick. And then Stuart McCall um, from the original indirect free kick is probably about half an inch away from the ball by the time the guy actually kicks it and <laughs> gets booked but then the I think the second one is what Tom was talking about that they kind of managed to clear the ball quite quite comfortably but there was just a lot of yeah, um, reading about that um, it did make you curious about these things but maybe you just, you're just reading too much into it he did I mean he, he did have to give the penalty like the the the, the foul on There's just no uh, way he can yeah the foul, the foul on Pat Nevin it's not malicious it's not like he's it's just like I am I am done like he he's not he like he he sides him down in just slow motion going like you know eight inches off the ground it's I think it was Chikadze the the Kakabers Chikadze that, that that takes Nevin down. Um, with just like the laziest of lazy challenges uh, and then Gary McAllister scores with what was probably a worse penalty than the one he, he took in in Euro 96 well not he if started, you send the keeper the wrong way I think if you know well, he, you've sent the keeper the wrong way you can just put it anywhere that you know it's kind of yeah. going in I think that's the I, idea with those ones isn't I, it there's something there's something it just makes me incredibly nervous when people, players start their run up outside the semicircle like not even outside the box if you're outside the semicircle I just don't too much time but yeah he does he does send him the wrong way and uh, yeah that was that was that it, like just uh, interestingly you, you you said there was a bunch of uh, links to Scottish players um, in that game itself like obviously Karin Kuznetsov Mikhailchenko and Kanchelskis there were what one two three four five six seven eight 
11 further players in the other squads who played at Sc- in Scotland at some point in the Euro 92 squads other than Scotland. Wow. There's I guess they've been an England squad, right? Like Chris Woods. Um, yeah, Chris Woods, Chris Woods and Trevor Stephen. Yep. Um, Ray Wilkins. Nope. Chris Waddle. Nope. Too late for them. Um, I mean, this is good. Uh, Peter Van Vossen, maybe? Nope. Um, there, was, there was Dutch involvement the what De Boers would have been too early for that eh? no that Frank makes it sound Boer. rude yeah, Frank, Frank De Boer <laughs> um, rude. there was Dutch involvement um, I guess Sweden <laughs> uh, Jonas Tern Jonas Tern yeah uh, Jockey Bjorklund maybe too early yep. for him no Jockey Bjorklund yeah um, Germany I doubt there'll be any Germans there's a good effort there's so one. far there was one uh, Stefan Kloss didn't play for Germany Um the Christian Nellinger. Uh, who else German played in Scotland? Like, like, like good German. George Alberts <laughs> when I played for Germany. No, Andy Tom. There's been oh, many. Tom. There's only been yeah. about five Germans and Andy Tom since so, uh, uh, ninety eight or something like that. F- full list: Brian Lydrop, Chris Woods, oh, yeah. Trevor Stephen, Frank Soze, Christoph Cockard, Basil Bolly, Gilles Rousset was in the French squad. Uh, Joshua oh. Brooklyn, Jonas Turn, Karin Kuznetsov, Mikhailchenko, Konchalskis, Andy Tom, and Frank De Boer. There was in the original Yugoslavia squad, who are obviously replaced by Denmark, uh, Gordon Petric and um, former Kilmarnock goalkeeper He was in the he was in the Yugoslavia squad at the '98 World Cup and maybe Euro 2000 as well. Um, that's it. Yeah, that's um, I would have forgotten about Andy Tom, but yeah, he was. Um, yeah, it's quite quite a list, like for a, such a small tournament. Um, but it's good. I, I had no idea Gio Russi would have ever been anywhere near a French squad. Like, Me neither. Um, two, two two caps. Like, because my memory, according to Wikipedia, I must not, uh, not just from that. Um, not just from that. Um, Cup final, but just any time he saw him, it's like he was a an okay goalkeeper, but he, he had a big howler in him a lot. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I did know Cocard was in that squad, but I'd, for, I'd forgotten about that. But um, Cocard was a very good player. He was just uh, just temperamental as anything. But that was really good work, guys. Um, I am going to go run the part that Craig Anderson went on about past the lawyers. The the lawyers are not interested in FIFA banning a Swiss referee 25 years ago, but who knows? Um, If any of the listeners want to get in contact with us, you can at the usual channels. And also, if you haven't already, go subscribe to our Patreon channel. There's lots of good stuff going up there. Say goodbye, Craig. Goodbye, Craig. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye, Tom. See you all later. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.